for a quarter century, Focus on the Family has made it a priority to minister to and reach the young adult generation. Now, it started in 1988 when the Boundless Ministry was born to help their audience grow up, own your faith, and date with purpose. A regular guest of ours, Lisa Anderson, has helped lead the Boundless Ministry for the past 15 of those 25 years. And this morning, we look forward to celebrating this milestone with her while reflecting on the spiritual needs of today's young adult generation. Lisa, welcome back to The Morning Conversation. Always great to be here. Yeah, and a big congratulations on the 25th anniversary of Boundless. That's awesome. Oh my goodness, I can't even believe it. And I haven't (laughs) been here the whole 25 years because as we all know, I'm only 25. Um, No, just kidding. (laughs) But I feel 25. But I've been here for a big share of it. And so it is just amazing to think 25 years of ministry to young adults worldwide, and we're still keeping at it. So it's been a blast. That's awesome. So obviously, there's some people in our listening family that uh, hasn't had the privilege and the blessing of having hearing conversations, our conversations in the past. So they don't know what Boundless is. So give us a quick thumbnail sketch of what is Boundless. Sure. So we are the young adult ministry of Focus on the Family, which a lot of people will say, you know, Focus on the Family. That's just marriage and parenting. Mm. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, not just marriage and parenting. We actually are preparing a generation of young adults, Mm. which currently, you know, we kind of house the millennial and Gen Z generations in our audience, um, but trying to grow them up in life and faith and relationships into maturity and keeping a biblical perspective on all things. And so I always say, if I can get my audience reading their Bibles, Mm. understanding them and applying them on a Tuesday, I will have done my job. And Mm. so we exist as a website. We've got articles. We have a group blog. We have our weekly podcast, which is also on radio. And we break it all down when we talk about everything from career to finances, to navigating faith in our culture today, to dating and relationships. So it's really a blast and really a a safe space for young adults who sometimes may feel a little bit left out of the church or its programming. And so we're we're like, hey, we're here for you um, while supporting the local church as well. So, Lisa, would you say that the numbers of singles is growing in our culture or not? Because it seems to me like people are getting married older. So is that group growing or no? Yeah, I would say it is growing largely because of the delay of marriage, especially in younger generations. Although at Boundless, we're not only single, though we're largely single just because of the demographics. So if you take the uh, the average Gen Zer who would have been born in like 1997 and after at this point, so kind of today's college students and young 20-somethings, there are 25% of them stand that actually say they don't think they're going to get married. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't. It just means that they don't really have a vision for it. But 29% of them actually will not be married by the age of 40 at this point. That's what current statistics are showing. And so there is a downward trend in marriage. Although I often say, like, it's not, the church doesn't need to freak out yet um, in the sense that it's not that they don't value marriage. It's just that they haven't seen a lot of great examples of it. Mm. And I always say, you know, we know that singleness is is scriptural as well. And so singleness isn't a problem to be solved per se. We don't have to form our committees and, and make this happen necessarily. But I do say like, if you're single, you know, you're a young adult or you're older for that matter. And you're single because you're selfish. You want to just travel the world. You want to be about you. You want to um, do, 
you know, spend your money on yourself, that's a discipleship problem. And that's between you and the Lord and a, a heart change needs to happen. But as a community, we're trying to honor people in their season uh, of singleness, or maybe they're engaged, maybe they're married at this point, and asking them really to honor God in every season that they're in, and especially be open to marriage if that's what God has for them. Because marriage is, you know, about 85% of the population gets married at some point. And so we want to help them move that direction in a healthy way. As you're just saying, Lisa, there are right, positive, godly, healthy reasons to not be married and as well as to be married. So as you think about uh, the trend towards marrying later, do you see that overall being a positive thing or do you think it's now nah, there's probably more negative things that are driving that? I would say generally, when we look at it kind of generationally, it's probably more of a negative overall in the sense that kind of what I was saying about young adults feeling not quite equipped for marriage. So um, we're seeing the delay of marriage for a number of financial reasons. So for example, after having experienced the economic downturn of 2008 and 2009 and looking now at a major, uh, obviously, stock market uh, drops in the last couple of years and beyond, I think Gen Z especially is like, can we even make this adulting thing work? I mean, they are priced out of the housing market. Uh, They are shouldering immense amounts of student loan debt coming out of college. They're not, you know, they're under a... they're underemployed to a large extent. And so we got to figure out how to help them navigate that. And so I think there's this idea of making marriage a a capstone, kind of like once I've accomplished the other things in my life, then maybe I can tack on some marriage. And so we're trying to say, no, if you're called to marriage, pursue it and trust God in the process and look at it biblically and realize that God has good things in marriage. He's the creator of marriage. And so I think that coupled with um, when we look at millennials in particular, which which are largely the children of boomers, boomers are the largest divorce generation in history. And so a lot of our older young adults, uh, if they're still single, it's because they feel like my parents didn't quite make this work. I want to get married. I've watched all the rom-coms. I I hope it can happen for me, but can it really be successful? Because I want to be successful at it, which is why we see higher rates of cohabitation, kind of uh, go-nowhere relationships, revolving door relationships among millennials and even now some Gen Z because they're trying to practice at marriage before being married uh, rather than feeling like, yeah, this is something that I can break cycles of divorce or dysfunction that I inherited in my own family. So we're trying to give them those tools uh, to do it differently in their generation. Lisa, just speak into the whole reality of the statistics that would say cohabitating before marriage is actually detrimental. The divorce rate is even higher among those who cohabitate before. So I'd love to hear kind of your perspective on that. Even if you take the faith component out of it entirely. So mm-hmm. let's say, you know, okay, if God doesn't care, you know, if you live together, if the Bible isn't true, whatever. Just look at the sociological implications. Those who cohabit prior to marriage, if they make it to marriage, will have higher rates of divorce. Men in particular do not contribute as much to the housework. Now, that is not me just dissing men. That is actually (laughs) a statistic that has been proven again by sociologists that it's kind of this idea of like, well, you know, I'm kind of getting what I want and I can kind of bide my time. I've got one foot in, one foot out. And so they're going to just do what they want to do 
do. They want to be perpetually single in this and kind of get the best of both worlds. And so, and again, you'll see women, especially in cohabiting relationships, will stay in one of those relationships because they think it is a step toward commitment when in fact it is a step away from commitment. So because it's the proverbial cow getting the milk for free. Mm-hmm. And so women will say, well, you know, I, as long as I can get him to live with me, then he'll see how amazing I am and how well we work together and how amazing I cook. But the problem is, and this is one of the biggest factors that I share with with young adults, is that staying in a cohabiting relationship, especially as it turns sour or starts to go south, it keeps you in bad relationships longer because there's this perceived element of commitment, Mm. but there's no commitment there. And so, you know, you're dating someone, you start living together. And at some point, maybe you're going to, you're certainly sharing a rent or possibly even a mortgage. At some point, you might share a dog. Eventually, you may share a child. Mm. And now it's like, it's just too much effort to try to get out of this. So you're going to stay. Clearly, there's no motivation to work on it, or you don't have the support structures of society to put pressure on that. And so as a result, it's just all around a bad idea. And statistics show that you're not getting any gains out of living together. Uh, There aren't many things. You're never going to know anyone perfectly by the time you get married. And so what are you waiting for? You have a lifetime to figure that out, trusting God in the process. Lisa, you've been with Boundless for how many years? So I started hosting The Boundless Show 15 years ago. Boundless is 25 years, but then you're 15 years with Boundless. How's the young adult landscape changed? And again, I point to kind of some cultural touch points as well. I mean, you think back in 1998, the internet was brand new. The whole online dating and dating app scene had not even begun. I mean, really, eHarmony came to be around 2001 is when it took off. Part thanks to focus on the family and and Mm. Dr. Dobson's uh, push for that. And I think the trend towards digital technology and the way that we have been consumed by a digital space and digital conversations has contributed in the lives, especially to young adults, to increased rates of anxiety, depression, mental health stresses that now, I mean, the fact that we call millennials the burnout generation mm. is not a great testament to where they have come, you know, in the in the past 15, 20 years. And then Gen Z now also um, high rates of their, their very sober generation in looking. In fact, I do a generational talk. I just did this last night at a, a local church here in town where I compare generations and Gen Z has a lot in common with the greatest generation, believe it or not. So our grandparents, probably many of us, those who served in World War II, most likely, um, those who were peers of, of greats like Ronald Reagan and uh, Jimmy Stewart and others in that era, because there was a lot of turmoil going on. So, you know, the greatest generation came of age in world wars, in a depression after a great stock market crash. Gen Z now has navigated. They have not known life apart from a terrorist threat. Most of them do not remember 9-11 at all. Uh, they also, like I said, these rates of mental health struggles and issues, the isolation and loneliness. Uh, They survived a pandemic. Many of them couldn't even graduate high school or college in person because of the pandemic in 2020. And so they're just feeling a little bit beleaguered and a little bit lost. And so there's a lot of opportunity for us to encourage these younger generations as they move kind of into the space of adulthood and figure out, well, where do I go from here? So, Lisa, you you obviously have a lot of interaction with young adults through the Ministry of Boundless, and you field their questions and all the things they're kind of grappling with. What are you hearing currently? What questions are echoing often 
in that space? Forever and ever, one of our top questions will always be around the dating space mm. and finding a spouse and mm. why, you know, why are guys so lame? Why are women so catty? <laughs> I mean, we will, these will be age old questions, Stan, that we will forever be answering of just like, if, and I always say, if we could open up first and second dating in the Bible and just get it straight from God, it would be so amazing. But he's just given us principles and guidelines. And so we have to work with those. But the age old idea of like, why am I 26, 27, 28 and still single? What does that look like? So that's a big one. And we've we've navigated that for years and years now. Um, but also moving into the friendship space. What does friendship look like in this day and age, especially as I mentioned with digital tech? So how do I make friends? How do I keep friends? How do I go deeper in friendship and really have lifelong sustaining relationships where it's iron sharpening iron? And so that's a big question that we have. We also answer a lot about navigating singleness uh, because again, the high rates of singleness among younger adults, navigating that in the church where you may feel like a second class citizen, or you may feel left behind, or you may feel like, how do I honor God in my singleness? How do I navigate the culture as a single adult? Um, and then of course, faith in the culture is another big thing. So the many things that have hit us in our culture, and especially the last 10 years, so issue identity, issues around uh, faith, navigating the space in pro-life, the post Roe v. Wade ruling, and what does that look like now for Christians? And just a lot of those things of like having conversations, the political landscape with friends and family without losing your mind, losing your faith, how to still love people in these spaces where there's so much division. Lisa, what would you say is going on with the young adult space in terms of young people coming to know and falling passionately in love with Jesus? Well, I will say there is a lot of hope because cultural Christianity is no longer cutting it uh, mm-hmm. for young adults, Stan. No, absolutely. So this idea that yeah. everyone in the U.S. generally believes what you believe and we can all kind of just talk about God and have a common language is no longer the case. And so young adults understand that. And so the neat thing is it's kind of separating, you you know, biblically speaking, the wheat from the chaff mm. in the sense of if you're a Christian on a campus today, you better know your faith and you better own it because you can't just drift along and flit in with the crowd. Mm. I think that's really encouraging in the sense that it's kind of causing a lot of younger Christians to stand up and be counted and understand what they believe. Talked about in terms of marriage and divorce, breaking cycles. A lot of young adults are doing that in their families where it comes to faith as well. So maybe they grew up in a very culturally Christian household where they went to church, you know, whether it was just Christmas or Easter, maybe they went regularly, but faith wasn't talked about in the home and it didn't make a lot of difference in everyday life. Well, now they realize like, I need Jesus or I'm not going to make it through my day at the workplace. And so it's causing them to question a lot of things. And as a result, we're seeing, uh, especially for millennials and Gen Z, we see that the importance of story and experience is so big. And so entering into someone's story and being willing to love them where they are, but being willing to kind of tell uh, your story of maybe your own brokenness, but how God has redeemed that is very winsome. That That's a big win for younger adults as they hear, especially from older generations. As a result, I always say um, it's encouraging to see young adults be motivated around their faith. They want to be in God's word. We have listeners here at Boundless who podcast preachers like their Skittles, Stan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like... <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha. 
<laughs> I mean, they are they are there for it. They are following sermon series. They are taking notes. They are in the word. They are in small groups. They are trying to do life on life stuff. And so I give them kudos because compared to the boomer generation, sorry, boomers, who kind of <laughs> just want to be American and call it Christian, young adults today are like, that's not enough. It's no longer okay to just be a good citizen or to be a good neighbor. I need to have Jesus working in, in every day of my life in very real ways. And so we're seeing them go after that in a big way. So you have the opportunity again to have conversations with young adults. So we're speaking to some parents today that obviously they've got young people in their home. They want to see them not be a statistic of that horrible one that young people go away from the church after they leave their homes. What would be your counsel of do this don't do this. Again, we, we're not God. We can't completely control our kids' eternal destiny, but we have an influence on it. Absolutely. And I love the question because it is so proactive in thinking that through. I think I would tell parents first and foremost, and this piggybacks on what I just said previously, walk it out, live mm-hmm. it out, live your faith right where you are. And, you know, there are a lot of older, you know, parents, uh, maybe who have gotten caught up in what I was describing, a cultural Christianity, your kids need to see you trusting God on the daily. Hmm. Uh, Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to them. They're like, why are we even going to church just to sing a bunch of songs and then throw our Bibles on the counter when we get home and watch football? I mean, they, they need to know that this is actually intersecting with your life in a real way. So talk about it. When you're experiencing financial hardship, pray as a family. Call on the Lord and involve your kids in that process. Mm. When you are learning something in scripture, talk about it and ask your kids what they think. Maybe read stuff together, go through a book together, go through a study together and have those conversations and let your kids be part of that. It's a big deal to know someone is walking a few steps ahead of you. And if your own parents are modeling that and they are showing that they're not perfect, but they are God dependent, that's going to go a long way. And then I would say you don't need to force conversations. Like I, I hear a lot of parents say, oh, you know, my my son or daughter, they just, they've stopped going to church. I need to get them back in church. Well, the Holy Spirit needs to get them back into church. You're probably not going to be the best person to strong arm them into uh, getting back through those church doors. I always say, you know, walking it out, modeling it, showing dependency on God is going to be number one. And then, of course, pray, pray, pray. Pray for your kids. Have real conversations with them. Let them know that you are praying for them. Talk about the real issues and be like, when you see something in the news that's about some kind of, you know, LGBTQ issue, or they're talking about their friends who are having gender gender identity crises. Ask them questions about it. Go to God's word about it. Explore together and show them that you're in this with them. You have questions too. You fail too, but you're walking it out and you're trusting the Lord in the process. At least I was a youth worker for numbers of years when I first got out of college. And what you're saying holds true in my experience that, you know, if I had a Christian kid in a Christian home who that wasn't living it out, I had a harder time getting that one on track than a Christian kid or kid becoming a Christian in a secular home by far. Yeah. That model was huge. And that makes so much sense. And another mistake that parents make, and this started in my generation, Stan, I remember this and my parents were well-meaning and they loved the Lord, but it was like... Like, just get your kids in youth group. Okay, youth group is not going to solve all of the spiritual problems of your child, you know. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's like you youth group is wonderful and having them in church programs and amazing church programs are great. But to go somewhere on a Wednesday night and sing some songs and eat some snacks and be in a loud room with with uh, fog machines and, and a bunch of games isn't going to connect them with the gospel. It's all good stuff, but they need to see it connect with their everyday life. And so, again, parents don't abdicate spiritual responsibility uh, to the youth pastors and to youth workers in your church, you need to be bolstering this at home and then giving your kids a vision for being part of a community in your church. And then it'll go go well and go both ways. Elisa, as always, this has been great. You've given us some great insight into today's young adults and some good thoughts on how we can help them walk out their own faith and tackle some of today's hot topic issues. Congratulations on Boundless reaching 25 years of ministry and Thanks for spending the morning with us. Thank you so much. 